Hey everybody, just a little heads up that we're trying something new here on the Power Company Podcast. Uh, it's what Nate and I are calling the board meetings, and this is the first recording that we did for these board meetings. Uh, this isn't going to take the place of the conversations that you've grown to expect. Those will still be coming out monthly. We're just going to try to put these out in between. Um, so this first one is a bit clumsy and we've streamlined it since then um so bear with us if we're rambling a little but um yeah on with the show maybe don't know this time this time this time this time What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. And I'm Nathan Drolet. And together we form Voltron. You know how long I've been waiting to say that? I want to say it at every damn workshop we do. I believe it. Uh, so this is episode who knows what, because I don't know when we're going to put it out. But this is the first installment of the board meeting. That's what we've decided on, right? Yeah. The board meeting. Yeah, the board meeting. Sweet. So... Uh, Nate and I have been out on the road doing these workshops and it's been amazing and people have really been responding. Um, I don't know. I'm super psyched. How are you feeling about it? I've been amped with it. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Get close on that mic so I don't have to turn you up and hear the refrigerator and the crazy ass dog next door. How about this? Is this better? That's better. All right. Mouth, mouth on the microphone. That's, that's what rappers like to do. So. Perfect. I'll just be <laughs> mouth breathing over here this whole time. <laughs> no mouth breathing. None of that. None of that. We have female <laughs> listeners who are going to get excited. And some male listeners will get excited too. But okay. Um, yeah, the workshops have been great. Um, so thanks to all of you guys who came out. We've had, we filled up most of the spots in most of the cities. So that's been pretty damn cool. And, and all the gyms want us back, which I think is even cooler. For sure. Yeah, anything anything special you've gotten from any of these or learned or been surprised by? Uh, I don't know. They've all been pretty good. Working with the team kids and especially the coaches when we had the coaches clinic was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's yeah. that's probably the most surprising moment for me was I wasn't sure what to think going into that. Yeah. But, but we went in and it was great and, and we definitely want to do it again. Like. We did a we did a workshop for the coaches, the same as we were going to give to their team kids the next day, and just kind of ran the coaches through it, and and the coaches picked up on it all really fast, and then helped us coach the kids, which was really cool. And we got to you know work with the coaches on the dialogue that they were using, and and how to frame questions for the kids or, or frame you know their conversations with the kids, which was really cool. Yeah, no, it was great. And plus, it was so fun to see how they were interpreting the information because it wasn't just them wanting information for themselves, which they obviously did as well, but also so that they could pass it on to kids. So it was interesting because they wanted both sides, like the questions they would ask and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool to see that they were excited to learn as climbers as well as, as coaches. Cause I definitely think there's a distinction there. You know, I have to, I have to draw a line between my coaching and my climbing and 
I have to think differently when I'm working with someone else versus how I coach myself. Oh, for sure. So I think it was cool to see that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really surprised how much fun it was to work with the kids. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't sure how that was going to be. You know, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to deal with parents. That's, that's my number one desire in this whole coaching thing is to not work with parents. Yeah. I think that was maybe the best thing about these <laughs> clinics is that it was just the kids and the coaches. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think parents want me working with them either. Um, but I can do it in a very limited role and I quite enjoy it in that case. Um, so, so this was a ton of fun and big shout out to Brad Hilbert who had us out to triangle rock club. And he, he did a lot of the legwork and did, you know, all of the, the work with the parents and, and brought some great team kids out for us to work with. So yeah. So and big all thanks the, to him. Yeah. And all the coaches, all the coaches for sure. Yep. Okay. Um, Let's tell them about this thing, this board meeting thing. What the hell is it we're doing here? Um, we basically want, Nate and I want to have conversations about things that we think are important for you guys to hear. And, you know, this whole thing has been conversational, so we want to keep it that way. And we want to pick a topic, and oftentimes we'll probably do lists, top three things we've learned from blah, 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 whatever that might be. And... Uh, today, we're going to talk about the top three things we've done that have positively influenced our own climbing, right? Yeah. This is Nate's topic, so I'm making sure I got this right. Yes, here. that is what okay. we're going with. All right. <clears throat> and just a quick quick uh, update here on the podcast, um, and I'll tell you more about this later, but I just want to put this little bug in your ears. Um, we are working on some ways for you guys to help out. Uh, we've got lots of exciting things happening. I've got like 7,000 interviews in the can now, maybe closer to 12, but... Thousand. 12,000. Th yeah, 12,000, exactly. In the can, ready to go with people like Christian Bale, if he were Jonathan Segrist. <laughs> <laughs> people exactly like that. So uh, I've got a bunch waiting to to come out for you guys and we've got some ways for you to help coming up so anyway let's get into this thing because i know that's what you want to do and i do too and i'm done with my coffee here and you can tell i've had a lot of coffee because nate's <laughs> making his drink coffee out of these little tiny ass cups they're adorable and, yeah they, they are quite adorable but i end up drinking about four times more coffee than i normally would because they're out of little cups and I drink them in two drinks and it's eight o'clock at night. So I may never get to bed. So, all right. Top three things that have influenced our own climbing. How about you go first? All right. I'm going chronological with these. Uh, first one was back in 2009 and you remember back that far. I don't remember back that far. Um, so that's why I have eight a <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah. Um, numbers, Chris. So beginning of that year, I was climbing V seven or so, and I just climbed like an absolute sloth. I locked off absolutely everything. And are you making fun of me? Yes, very much. Okay. I was wor way worse than you. <laughs> uh, no, it's terrible. I, I felt like I could either lock off to a move or I would never be able to reach the move. I would have to all points off dyno or lock off. I had mm -hmm. no in between ground. 
and it started to become a huge issue. I was really inconsistent with my climbing. And at that time, so it was like V7, maybe I think 12D as well. And about that time I picked up Dave McLeod's nine out of 10 climbers. Oh yeah. Great book. I know. Uh, still to this day, I think one of the best books on training for sure. And, and it's funny. It's the first book in my life. I opened it up, started reading and I can even remember what it said, but this is the first time in my life. I set the book down, went over, grabbed a highlighter and came back and highlighted the paragraph. Crazy. Yeah, I know. I don't yeah. read. I never read much before. I highlight with Sharpies. <laughs> black black Sharpies, preferably. I, dis- I disagree with this. <laughs> Boom, taking it out. <laughs> I think he's talking about me here, so we'll just blank this part out. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And so I read through that book and I felt like it gave me a lens to look at climbing training through. So from then on, mm-hmm. anytime I would look at some sort of training plan or read other books, this gave me a reference point to see that with. Yep. Uh, and yeah, there are a couple, I mean, I had tons of takeaways. Actually, one of the coolest things about that book is a little bit of an aside before getting to the actual thing here. Um, so I went through everything that I thought was speaking directly to me, I highlighted. And so after that, Every year for the next four years, I ended up rereading the book. And what was crazy was every year, you know, I'd go through, I'd see the highlighted sections. I'd be like, I don't even understand why I highlighted this, you know, because I just spent the last Mm, two years focusing on it. So now it was so ingrained. Or I would flip through, you know, and there'd be these huge gaps where nothing had been highlighted. I'm like, how did I miss this? This is gold right here in the middle. Um, But it was just, you know, things didn't apply to me at that time. Or... There was the third thing, and it was something that was highlighted, and I kept avoiding it. That's yeah. where I pulled out the uh, black highlighter. <laughs> yep. I've seen this that, six that times. That part doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah. Footwork drills? No. No, thank you. <laughs> um, so, Red Knight at 10 Climbers, and he talks a lot about how you need to use momentum. And I knew that that was a limiting factor. And so, I decided I was just going to train momentum nonstop. So that's what I did. I made up all my own makeup boulders to where they were the biggest moves that I could reach. So they were beyond my lock off, but they were two bout of holds to just jump to. And eventually I got really good at it. And now all I do is climb with momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually recently had to relearn how to climb statically. But uh, within, so beginning of that year, I was climbing 12C, or 12D and V7. And by the end of the next year, I had climbed six V10s and 13D. Sick. So it was that Dave for me. McLeod was, gets half your 8A points. Exactly. Uh, he gets all, all the 8A points. <laughs> um, yeah. So for me, that was one of the biggest things was really practicing momentum, which was all spurred on by reading nine out of 10 climbers. Oh, that's cool. Maybe I should go back and reread nine out of 10 climbers. I would. But Again. Uh, yeah, I loaned it <laughs> to someone. Is, yours is all black now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just rip pages out when I don't agree with them. <clears throat> All right, so what do you got as number one? All right, my number one was I got honest with myself uh, about my strengths and weaknesses, and specifically... Your pinkies? <laughs> well, that's my strength, that I don't use my pinkies, <laughs> uh, that I don't need those things. Um, no, seriously, my the thing I had to really get honest with myself about was something that I thought was my biggest strength. I had been told for years that I was a pretty climber and that I looked good climbing and that I had great technique. Mm -hmm. 
So I really had to be brutally honest and say, okay, you have a really good technique in a very limited range. Yeah. You know, and I had to realize if I took the entire spectrum of technique into account, I had really horrible technique, you know, because I didn't have three quarters of the skills I needed to be a better climber. For sure. You mastered mm. such a small yeah. sector. Yep. Yeah. The tiny little like Red River drop knee twisty technique. That was me. Hang on forever. You know, yeah, that was all I could do. You know, so I really had to get honest with myself about that. And then that led to, you know, really looking at my other weaknesses as as that got better and started to get short up a little bit. I was able to really reflect back on what else do I need? And it got easier and easier as it does to look at your weaknesses. After you start attacking the big ones, the little ones are much easier. You don't have to sharpie the book out nearly as much. For sure. And also you realize how much of it benefit you get yeah for sure it's a huge benefit when you can be honest with yourself and it hurts you know it hurts especially when you've heard people tell you for years that that's what you're good at mm -hmm. you know um i had to go okay all you people are stupid <laughs> well it's easy too i mean i don't you know i don't think there's necessarily a bad style but it becomes an issue when you start to take pride in one thing and you almost start to use it as a crutch oh for sure i know i've definitely had that with yep. several things in the past yeah, there are a lot of times I still want to make a move and I have to catch myself. I want to make a move pretty and graceful and it's just not going to be, you know, it's going to be a thuggy ass, you know, growling, screaming kind of move. And I need to be okay with that as opposed to I need to find the drop knee that makes it pretty or I go, oh, that move is stupid, you know, and walk away. Oh, yeah. No, that's uh. <clears throat> I had a very similar issue and thankfully I climb. So I climb at TBA, Tennessee Bouldering Authority in Chattanooga yep, yep. a lot. And man, just a bunch of animals that climb in there. Like mm -hmm. guys are all so strong. And I'd always try and beta things down, which a lot of times works. But at a certain point, you know, I'd be trying 15 different methods. And yep. one of the guys I'd be training with would just look at me and be like, dude, just try hard. Yeah. And sure enough, it's like, you know, sometimes you just got to knuckle down and huck meat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's my that's my number one. I got honest with myself. What uh was there something that caused that? Caused me to have to get honest with myself? Yeah. Was there just a roadblock or um really it was just kind of I hit a plateau. Like I had maxed out what I was doing. And it it all started with I was a drag climber. I basically quit climbing for a while because I was so disenchanted with running out of trad climbs in the red for the most part. And I thought bolts were incredibly ethically stupid. And, and then I came back to climbing, rediscovered the red. So I had to start rethinking my motivation for climbing to begin with. Hmm. And so that started me on that path. But then I'm kind of maxed out with my endurance training because that's kind of where I started. So once I maxed out on that, I had to go, okay, what do I do now? You know, I'm not going to get any better with this. So I have to, I have to change things. So. Can't shake out on jugs any longer than you already were. I know, so, you know, yeah, I was shaking out on every damn hold. It didn't <laughs> matter what the hold was. I could shake out my way up every route I climbed. So, no, because if it had a crux, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> All right. So my number two, Numero this, dos. yes. 
So this was in 2014. So this wasn't that long. 2014 or 2013. I don't really remember that well. Um, so I was working at an Amazon Fulfillment Center as a picker. Oh, yeah. I was working 50-hour <laughs> week. So I was working five tens a week. And then during the winter, I was working five 12-hour night shifts a week. Oh, my God. So that, that year. sounds horrible. Yeah. Um, and as a picker, you walk in a 10-hour shift, typically, I don't know, 10 to 14 miles, something <laughs> like that, depending on what it is. But there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of bending down, a lot of reaching up super high, just a lot of movement. Can't you get just like a motorized wheelchair or something? That'd be amazing. It'd be cool. Yeah. Um, no, because then you'd be sitting 10 hours a day. I don't know if that's any better it's than walking not. 10 hours a day. Segways, dude. Segways, yes. <laughs> I wouldn't be terrifying. Segways and conveyor belts. <laughs> um, so I was working a ton and man, I just, you know, I'd get back from work and I'd just be exhausted when I get to the gym if... Yeah, come back and I had a really short window. So I'd get off of work, I think about 6.30. When I was driving to the gym, I would be eating dinner on the drive to the gym. I swear I thought you were going to say eating donuts. Eating donuts. As soon as as D came out of your mouth, I was like, donuts, donuts, yes. Yes. Anyway, sorry. You're on your Um, way to the gym eating donuts for dinner. Yes, I'd eat donuts for dinner. Um, (laughs) A couple kolaches. I don't even know what a kolache is. Sounds Polish. It's well done. Um, Sweet. Yeah, maybe some pierogies to top it off. So, um, Amazon, working, lots. Yeah. So, by the time I'd get to the gym, I'd already be pretty tired. And I realized I needed a ton of sleep if I was going to be able to keep up my training load. And obviously, like, through this whole time, I wanted to keep training. I had a big trip coming up that year. I was going to go out west out west go see a couple different places that i hadn't been before and then in the grand scheme i wanted to go to waco tanks that winter uh, so after the christmas of working five 12 hour night shifts a week yeah. so biggest thing was i realized i needed a lot of sleep i needed to eat well and it actually that job forced me to have a lot of self-imposed constraints mm, yeah So what I did was I limited my climbing session no matter what time I got to the gym, which was typically around between 7 and 7.30, depending on traffic. I had to leave by 9 because I had to get home, go to sleep if I was going to be able to keep this going. Yep. So, man, yeah, most days it was typically about a 90-minute session. And, man, it doesn't take many bad sessions where you go in and you just kind of goof off or you don't pay attention or... You know, yep. you don't get to the point to where you try hard and then you just have to leave. Man, I'd, yeah, I'd get livid when that happened because mm-hmm. I'd be like, I just wasted a day and I don't have extra days. Yeah. So at that time, I ran across a Dan John article that said, if something's worth doing, do it every day. If it's not worth doing, don't do it at all. Good advice. Yeah. So am I? Wrote down a list. I was like, what to me is important? What do I need to do? Donuts. Donuts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Send donuts. Um, So I wrote down what I needed to do. Core was important. Finger strength was important. At this time, I still had really weak fingers. And we've talked about this. Uh, I used to to be known for having really, really weak hands, like which is crazy because now most people who've just met me recently are like, oh, you're just like the tiny guy who crimps a lot. Right. Well, that's how I first heard of you was 
that guy from Texas with really weak hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Freakishly small hands from Texas. Um, so, yeah, my crimp strength was holding me back. And I actually wrote a little blog about this yeah. uh, when I started hanging. So I decided I was going to hang board every single day that I went to the gym. I'd go in and I would just do two hangs. And I did a couple other things as well. Like because my sessions were only 90 minutes, I would go in do 30 minutes of really focused movement training. And then I would just try as hard as possible. Well, do my hang two hangs and then try as hard as possible and then cool down and leave. And by doing yeah. only 90 minutes <clears throat> and actually really paying attention to what I was doing, that was monumental for me. Yeah. I think that's really important because, you know, the majority of our clients here are working people, mm -hmm. you know, who have real lives and a lot of them have families and, responsibilities you know and you have limited time and a lot of people believe they just don't have time yep. but it really doesn't take that much time no if, and that's if what you're, if you're doing me. the right things yeah that was probably the least i've ever trained because i mean i was typically training four days a week for like 90 minutes a day something like that so not much um but yeah and so overall that was huge for me Definitely for finger strength. Like at that time, so before then, I had already climbed a couple V11s. But uh, this was something we had talked about. I mean, I honestly believe if you travel enough, like I think if you're a solid V8 climber, if you travel enough, you can go find a V10 that you can do. Sure. And so something this is something that really fits your strengths. Yeah. Exactly. So I had just seen enough boulders and I was able to find boulders that fit my style. Mm -hmm. But I was quickly running out of those boulders. And right. so. Yeah, it was, that was one of the biggest things for me was one learning that I didn't have to spend a ton of time in the gym and I could still keep getting much stronger than I had when I was spending a lot of time yep. and also focusing on finger strength. Yeah, cool. Very cool. And I think that's a good, like I said before, I think it's a good lesson for everybody. You don't have to be in the gym for 20 hours a week. For sure. You know, always bashing your head into the wall while you're there, mm -hmm. which is what most people do, sadly. Uh, okay, my number two kind of goes hand in hand with my number one um, and sort of with your number two as well. Um, I learned to really boulder. What, what I had going on was I was a route climber. I had heard bouldering is how you gain power. So I would go to the bouldering gym and I would go bouldering. And I would do, you know, 40 move boulder circuits. You know, and I thought I was bouldering. I'm like, where the fuck is my power? Yeah. <laughs> it's not coming. And it finally occurred to me that I'm just climbing routes. I'm just not clipping. Yeah. You know? So just taking the rope off doesn't really make a difference. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make a difference. It's not what makes you stronger. Shockingly. Yeah. Dave McLeod didn't tell me that. Bastard. Or I blacked it out in Sharpie one or two. <laughs> but so once I really started digging into the the mindset of working on two or three hard moves, you know, and really spending time deconstructing those moves and breaking down what was happening and really focusing on what I needed to do to make those moves happen. That's when my power started really shooting through the roof. Hmm. You know, way, it went way beyond what it was really fast. And, and that was really cool to see, but I just bouldering, doesn't do it if you're not focused on the right things. Oh, yeah. What made you come across the briefer, more intense? Honestly, watching approach. some guys 
in the gym here. Hmm. Um, there are a couple guys, um, Aaron Schneider, Dan Rush, a um, couple of guys who are strong boulders in town. And it occurred to me that I never saw those guys do more than like eight moves a night. You know, they would just, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds crazy, but they would camp under hard moves and they would try them all night. And they might, I might not see them stick a move for hours, you know, hours a week. I mean, I might, I might not see them stick anything. Mm -hmm. And and then I was finally like, well, they're getting really strong that way. And I had seen other strong people do that. You know, Ben Safdie, uh, he's in Colorado now. He's from here. Super strong kid. Yeah, I met him at the Red. Yeah, he used ago. to do the same thing. You know, he would just camp under these super hard moves. And he might stick one move a night. You know, two moves a night. And finally, I was like, okay, if, if it works for those guys, I'll see if it works for me. Because mm -hmm. you know? since I started this whole power company thing, I've always wanted to just be an experiment you know keep experimenting with myself and see what works so that's how it all started and i thought i'll try what they're trying and see if it works i don't think it's gonna work you know seems crazy but it worked yeah no still I, working yeah it's funny uh i think it helps too y'all have kind of a smaller gym yeah like, which I think is really beneficial, man. Some of these tall walls make it a little hard for that. Yep. That's one thing that's nice with TBA too. shorter walls. So everything's really intense and powerful. Yep. And actually at the gym that I started bouldering at, cause at the time Rockwest, where we climbed the last couple of days, mm -hmm. didn't have bouldering or they had only a tiny bit, but the bouldering at climb time, which is a really great bouldering gym, the walls are pretty big. Oh, so you nice. can do long boulders in there. But, but I would never see these guys get to the top of hard boulders. You mm -hmm. know, they were hard boulders. I couldn't even come close to touching, but they never, you know, they just worked on a move or two at a time. So nice. So it was really more about them than being forced into it. For sure. I do like to be forced into it now though. Like I like the engine room wall. That's only a few moves long. Mm -hmm. You know, my best training season to this point was on a wall that was eight feet tall in my friend's basement. You know, I trained two moves at a time on that wall the whole training season and came out stronger than I'd ever been. You know, made made the biggest gains that season. Nice. So. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Steve May said something similar. And I came across, I think it was in 2009, Sonny Trotter mm -hmm. wrote an article and said that the strongest his fingers had mm -hmm. ever been, had been, I think from 2002 or something like that, him and a couple of buddies built... Yeah, tiny little Woody. Yeah, and the they just wooden holds rallied. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's something to be said for uh, just a few difficult yeah. moves. Yeah, I mean that's what all the Wyoming dudes did back in the day. They just had a little these little Woodies, and you know, super short, super steep, tons of power. So yeah, for work for them. I mean, yeah. All right, um, let's take a break. Word. What's up, everybody? Chris here. Sorry to interrupt. I'll keep this brief. Since this podcast thing became officially official, I've gotten a bunch of messages from you guys asking how you can help out and make sure that it keeps going. Well, now we've got a way. Our new Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast, is set up so that you can become patrons of the podcast. 
we want to keep this thing sponsor free. You know, we want to keep it mostly commercial free, except for our own commercials, like this one, of course. Um, so the way it's set up is that you can donate monthly, um, $1 a month, $5 a month, all the way up to $25 a month, and you get rewards in return for that. For instance, for the $5 a month, you get our Google Voice number, which means you can call, leave us a voicemail message, and we'll play it on the podcast and try to answer any questions that you have. Um, so we're trying to give back to you guys, and again, trying to keep this thing sponsor-free, so help us out. Patreon.com slash podcast. Or you can go to powercompanyclimbing.com and click on the podcast tab. Thanks a lot. Back to the show. Okay, we have returned. Uh, how about you give me your number three? All right. My number three is more recent and a little more specific than the other ones. So my number three is I started practicing climbing with a higher level of tension. Mm-hmm. And... To do this, this was inspired after I read Pavel Tatsulin's book. I think it was Power to the People. I read Power to People and Naked Warrior both back to back, so I can't remember which ones these are actually from. I don't even want to think of Pavel in the Naked Warrior term at the same time. That was body weight training. Yeah, so, I just don't yeah. want to think about yeah, it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, we need another title for that. And Josh Rucci, had, he wrote a little article that had to do with this as well. But Yep. Yeah, good uh, article. Using intra-abdominal pressure and irradiation. Yeah. Uh, and both, for me, have been monumental. And it's something that I'm still practicing a lot. Um, and it's hard to explain. Intra-abdominal pressure is uh, creating pressure using breath and kind of holding your breath for very extreme difficult moves. And then irradiation is uh, purposefully tightening specific muscles. Right. Um, to help make everything else fire harder. Right. And so by doing those two combined, I realized I could try single moves at a much, much higher level than I've ever been able to before. Mm-hmm. And it's been crazy. So I've been practicing it for about a year now. And it's something that I still, I don't know, I feel like I'm probably still only at like 30% of what's even acceptable for it. But it's wild. I mean, I've come across moves that, I cannot do without creating this type of pressure or this sure. type of tension. But if I use the tension, I've never missed them. Yeah. Yeah. I can believe that. Um, you know, you, you've kind of turned me onto these concepts and I've been toying with them a little bit. I am not nearly as far down the road as you are, but, but as I've started to dig into it, I've started to notice it more in other people, the, the lack of it and who's good at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like when we were in So Ill, there was a, a tension move that you did. And it, it's not even a tension move. I can't call it that. You were just using your your feet and your core in a way that I couldn't do. And it didn't look like a hard move. It didn't seem like a hard move. It didn't seem like it should be a hard move. But I could not keep my foot on the hold. And it was really interesting watching how you worked through it. And how you were able to pick apart why I wasn't able to do it, you know, and I think that's a hugely important part of climbing that, that a lot of people just don't pay that much attention to. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't know. And it's, it's tough because it's like, for me now, it's still such a, it takes such a conscious effort. Yeah. Like it's not 
intuitive. It doesn't happen on its own yet. And I haven't been able to make it happen on its own yet. So mm-hmm. I can really only do it for a handful of moves, like typically one, maybe two moves in a boulder. Otherwise, it just takes so much thought that I can't actually make it happen well, at least not at a high level. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know, it's weird to train and practice. But yeah, you see some people like Daniel Woods, man, that guy can just create so much tension. Yep. He's really good at it. I think Angie is really good at it. You know, I've and I've I've recognized her level of tension for years because I've I've climbed with her a fair amount and there are moves where and I've said this before, but there are moves where I thought I can't span that that reach, you know, from mm-hmm. toe to hand, I can't reach that without my foot cutting. And then Angie does it and keeps her foot on and she's several inches shorter than I am. And I'm like, what the fuck? You yeah. Know? Why is this even possible? And how how does she just stiffen up that way? Mm-hmm. You know. And I think of myself as having a strong core, and and I think that's one of the mistakes that people make is they. And I see this in the gym all the damn time. People, their feet cut, and they go, I need to do some core work. And I don't think it's that their core isn't strong enough. I think it's that they don't know how to use it effectively. Yeah. So, no, for sure. <clears throat> Any thoughts on how people can, you know, work on these things themselves? Because I, I really do think this is a huge issue, especially that, you know, higher end climbers can use. And by higher end, I mean, you know, 512 and above or V5 and above can start to really think about that'll really help their climbing out. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's good to try and break it down to its most simple form. So as far as creating tension or creating that kind of, yeah, we'll, we'll just use tension. Um, you know, a drill we use that we call rooting. So learning how to drive, start by learning how to drive through your low arm. So if you're doing a you're big You're giving move, away the secrets, man. I you're know. giving away the shit. Um, we're going to have to charge for this. <laughs> um, yeah, so... When you're doing a big move, let's say you're reaching with your left hand, so learning how to drive through the entire move with your right arm, so that low arm that's still on the wall. And it, you know, I say this now and it sounds obvious, like of course, and most people think they do this, but until you really spend the time and practice, like you don't realize how much extra strength and how much control you can get out of Mm -hmm. really focusing on it. So for me, I'll, with drills like this, man, I love to pull it back, I'll do it for you know, kind of end my warm up. So boulders that are still like fairly difficult, but not so hard that I don't have the extra time to think about what I'm doing. Yep. Yeah. Practice driving with your arms, with your legs, and then slowly start adding, trying to create yeah, extra tension through your core, through your lats, through just your legs, everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I mean, that's the way I like to do it. Like start with, make it, do it on really easy boulders. And then slowly build till you're on harder boulders. So you're kind of like leveling up as you go. And then if you want to try it on hard moves, just do one move at a time. So it's nothing else that you have. There's nothing else you have to think about. Yep. And I think when you're practicing it, create more, create far more tension than you think you need. Oh, for sure. Just to really learn what it feels like and learn what that tension does, you know, and learn how much tension you can create. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's big. Oh, it's funny. Uh, I don't know about you, but the first time I started practicing this, I realized I could only do these drills twice a week. 
Oh yeah, get, they're they're hard. Yeah, I'd get destroyed. Like the next day, I could not create any tension throughout my entire body. Like I'd just be wrecked. So yep. I started having to have like really slow, high tension days, and then like fast power days because I realized I could still climb powerfully, but I just couldn't have that high level of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's crazy. I mean, I could be practicing this tension on, you know, V five, V six, V seven boulders, like, and it would just destroy me. Yeah, yeah. You feel like you got, you know, you did some. P90X bullshit or something. Yeah, but That's it works. what it feels like, but you're actually doing something specific to your climbing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Can we talk a second about irradiation? Because I think that that's an important concept that we sort of just glossed over. Yeah. Um, let's, can... let's explain it to people a little bit. For sure. Uh, you want to start or? Well, I, I like, <laughs> I think I heard a Pavel explain it like, the way I best understood it, I think, was Pavel. And he talked about making a fist, you know. And mm-hmm. if you make a fist, you can only make so tight a fist before you start squeezing with your forearm and tightening your forearm. And then if you try to make the fist tighter, you end up tightening your bicep and you go tighter and then your shoulder is tensed. And before you know, your entire like pec and back and everything yeah. is all engaged. Exactly. And that's those muscles don't have anything to do with your fist. But by the concept of irradiation is that if you tighten the surrounding muscles, then it thereby adds more tension to mm-hmm. what your it's a neuro- target. It's like a is. neurological boost, basically, right. is what it, how is it? It's explained, but that's the exact example he uses. Make a fist. He's like, make a fist. Now make it harder, harder. Squeeze until you can't squeeze any harder, and you'll feel you know that entire side of your body. Yeah. Um, yeah, just act completely activated, and so it's that same idea. And he uses four main things for activating, four main things to focus on for activating radiation, and that's your core or whole midsection, your glutes, your lats, and your grip. Those four things act as amplifiers for the rest of your body. Yep. Um, So what we're saying as far as climbing goes is, you know, if you've got a toe way out to the left and you're trying to apply tension to that toe so that you can make a move, you don't just need to flex your calf harder. You, You need to squeeze your ass. You need to you know, squeeze the hand that's going to stay on the wall, you know, squeeze that grip harder. You need to squeeze your lats, squeeze your core, get everything tight. And then that toe will work that much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which obviously that's a lot of things to think about. It's a lot of things to think about. And that's why you do it on the easy boulders. Yeah. You know? Until it starts becoming natural. Yep. For sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really loving those drills actually. And that's at all of these workshops I've done Every single time somebody asks me, what are you working on? Like, what's, what are you, you know, what are you trying to make better? Because I, that's the question I ask to everyone when they come off the wall. Like, Mm -hmm. what can we make better? You know, and what can we improve? So they all want to know what I'm trying to improve. And I tell them all, you know, since Nate and I have been on the road, I've been really watching Nate climb because he climbs with a much higher level of tension than I do. I try to relax as much as possible you're much better at applying tension when it's required. And it takes me four or five tries to realize, oh, I need to apply a little more tension there because I'm trying to Red River relax through the whole thing. You know, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get better at learning when to use that tension and how to apply that tension and what that means. So Nice. All right, so what's uh, your uh, my what number, you three, number three? My final 
Um, this one's really kind of broad, but I think it's super important. Um, I started paying more attention to the outside factors, meaning partners, schedule, pre-trip preparation, all those things that aren't training. Hmm. You know, you can you can train your ass off. You can train harder than anybody in your gym, in your state, in the on the planet. But if you don't schedule right or have the right partners or, you know, have the right goals when you get outside, it all means nothing. Oh, for sure. You know, and it's really easy as a busy person who has a life, a family and responsibilities to just go, oh, I don't have time this weekend or I was going to, but, you know, it's really easy to do that. So I just got. I really spent a season zeroing in on I need to figure these things out. I need to have backup partners and backup backup partners and backup 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 partners. You know, I need to have it covered no matter what happens. I need to have my work schedule totally figured out. I need to have the schedule of the day totally figured out. I need to have the schedule of my project totally figured out. Like what's my goal today on this route, you know, and make sure all those things happen the way they're supposed to happen. And, you know, that made a huge difference. I actually wrote into my training plan. This was written on paper that I had to stay at Miguel's every weekend and be the last person to bed. Not because I didn't want to sleep, but because I needed to be more integrated into the sport climbing community because I was an old school tratty and I could have stayed that way, this grumpy old dude, but I needed to be more integrated so that I had backup, backup, backup partners Hmm. so that if my partners bailed, I could drive to Miguel's and be guaranteed a partner. And it worked. Nice. So, Do you feel like focusing on those factors or trying, let's rephrase that, so by trying to improve those factors, do you think it made you more stressed out when they work poorly? I don't think so. I think I got much better at not giving myself excuses. You know, I think before I really focused on these factors, if something went wrong, I could just bail out. Like, oh, that's just what happens. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a busy guy. I've got a job and all these hobbies and a, you know, a daughter and all this other bullshit that were just fucking excuses Mm -hmm. because none of those things suffered at all. In fact, they got better once I, once I scheduled things and, and made sure that everything was going to be working, you know, this concerted effort across the whole spectrum. So I don't think it, I don't think it stressed me out more at all. I think nice. I think I was just able to roll with the punches quite a bit better without giving excuses. What's your favorite excuse now? Oh shit, there's a lot of them. Um, my shoulder, definitely that's my favorite oh, excuse good. now. It's a good go-to. The surgery helps that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I try to like I try to use the excuse like oh, my, you know, that my shoulder's scared of that move. But then I'll, but when I do use the excuse, I can go, okay, is that valid? If it's not actually dangerous, I'm going to give it a few more tries and see how it feels, Mm. you know? So I think by, for me, by voicing it, then I get to analyze it a little bit. 
instead of and i try to voice all my excuses i try not to just give myself an excuse inside my head because if i voice it then i have to really look at it and see am i for real did i just say that or am i just you know am i just bullshit Mm -hmm. so so you get to the crag start preloading your excuses you know look around See who's there. Maybe start doing some ridiculous TheraBand exercises. <laughs> I do those anyway. Yeah. What's your favorite excuse? Oh, I haven't had enough donuts today. That's a good one. Or I've had too many donuts today. Or no, that's never <laughs> happened. Uh, <clears throat> my palms are too long. That's probably the issue. <laughs> Nate just held his hand up and he does have an abnormally long palm it's really kind of freaky i've got these tiny raccoon fingers and just these like awkward paddle that is what it looks like it looks like a raccoon hand oh yeah it's so fucking weird unzip your pack and walk away with a granola bar (laughs) so fucking weird they're creepy okay raccoons not my hands (laughs) raccoons are creepy yeah no your hands are creepy no they're not (laughs) little self-conscious there of course not <laughs> uh, I think it, I think it's over. I think we're done with this podcast now. Cut it off now. We don't tweet. We scream like eagles. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's. I think those are all really good things. And you know, I think we could have made a, a top forty list because I've definitely learned a lot. That's made big dents in my climbing. Not dents, I guess, but dents is the wrong word, but big dents in my weaknesses yeah so and i feel like in a lot of these two you always end up coming back to eventually oh yeah and i think it cycles like i have to be honest with myself again about what my weaknesses are every every season i have to go okay what is it i need to work on you know does it matter that i'm better at these people you know at that no it doesn't really because there's always jimmy webb and daniel woods and angie payne and you know, Alex Magos, who are always going to be better at me than just about everything. So, except for rapping, because Daniel Woods can't rap, let's be honest. Here. <laughs> <laughs> but they're always going to climb better than I do. And I have to be honest with myself and not be the big fish in the little pond. And I think that's a constant cycle. You know, I think all these things you have to cycle back through. Eventually, your strengths are your weaknesses. Once you make all your weaknesses your strengths. I think that's a... Did I say that right? Yeah. I think I said, I'll have to listen back to that. Man, I might cut that part out. (laughs) All right, yeah. But yeah. Um, um, Cool. Are we done? We're done. I think so. Shit, that's three things. This went fast. We should do like four more of these tonight. More coffee. More, oh God, I don't need more coffee. All right, we will see you guys later. We don't tweet, we scream like eagles. This time, this time, this time, this time, this